Welcome to Climify, the podcast that connects climate scientists and design educators together so that we can help combat our climate crisis in our classrooms. The discussions on this program are geared to help you climify your syllabi to assign projects that not only teach design fundamentals, but also can have a positive impact on our climate. This episode is brought to you by Renourish. Renourish is your one-stop online resource for sustainable design and systems thinking strategies and tools for the graphic designer. You can learn more about Renourish on their website at renourish.org, or you can follow them on Twitter and Facebook at Renourish. Hi, I'm Weslyn Ashton. I'm an associate professor of environmental management and sustainability at the Illinois Institute of Technology where I sit in a joint appointment between the Stewart School of Business and Institute of Design, and also have a courtesy appointment in the Department of Civil and Architectural and Environmental Engineering. And I work on system sustainability. Uh, So thinking about how we can transition our current economic systems towards more sustainability and equity. And you can learn more about my work at iit.edu. That's Weslyn Ashton. Uh, she's a professor at IIT in Chicago. A few years ago, I learned about her work in systems thinking as I was embarking on my own path and learning about systems thinking. Uh, for a couple of years now, I've been following what she's been doing and have been greatly inspired by uh, all the interesting work uh, that she is doing, especially how to teach systems thinking and, and why life-centered systems thinking is so important for the designer so that they can be a part of the climate action that is needed for our society and planet. So I'm happy that Westland is here, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome, Westland, to Climify. I'm excited that you are here, and I've been meaning to reach out to you for actually about a year now. I discovered you a while ago based on the work you do up there at IIT, and I'm glad that you accepted uh, the invitation to be on the program. Well, I'm very excited to to be here and share a bit of the work that we're doing and also be engaged with the Climify audience. Yeah, definitely. and. That engagement, right, with with your work is something that um, I hope to talk a lot about today. And uh, I'm really interested in how you got to where you are at IIT and, and your interest in sustainability. And, you know, you do a lot of things. You have a lot of overlaps there. And so I'm curious, just like, how did this all come to be? I have my undergraduate training in environmental engineering. And I think from... Uh, a very early age, growing up on a Caribbean island, uh, Trinidad and Tobago, which was very industrialized, um, I saw the juxtaposition of industry and environment. And mm. uh, I wanted to think about how can our economic activities be situated to live more within the constraints of the ecosystems and the, the biophysical resources that we have. 
And so I was drawn to the field of industrial ecology, which is what I did my PhD work in. Uh, and that really focused on how we use different materials and energy uh, in our industrial activities mm -hmm. and develop strategies to um, use those resources more efficiently, but also to develop collaborations across different types of industry so that we can have uh, industries operating more like an ecosystem uh, rather than on, your, on their own. And, and so I started drawing on, uh, social network analysis, uh, business management, uh, so going beyond just engineering, um, because this really became about, okay, well, who's making the decisions and what's their right. motivations for adopting more sustainable practices in their business activities. And so I landed in the Stuart School of Business at Illinois Tech about 12 years ago, um, particularly to teach in our master's degree program on environmental management and sustainability, but I also teach in the MBA program uh, and our public administration programs. And then a few years ago, um, you know, like the design folks are kind of over there the, uh, so, so they're actually like a completely different uh, campus in, in Chicago. And so they were kind of away from everyone else. And about five years ago, they moved into the same building as the business school and the law school. And oh, that mine is with business and law. It was. It was. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so there was like a two, three year period um, where they were temporarily um, co-housed. Uh, with business and law, which are together, uh, and that's on our downtown campus in the West Loop in Chicago. And that really created an, an opportunity for collaboration and intersection, right? It's easy to, to run upstairs mm -hmm. or take the elevator. <laughs> you <know>. Either one. <laughs> But that's so, a cool thing, though, to have as a designer. I'm a designer. Right. Me, um, with those two disciplines where, I mean, we're typically not at the big kids table like, like that. So that, that must have been pretty cool. It is. And, you know, we, we had, I, I think probably for at least 15 years, had a joint degree program uh, between the business school and uh, the Institute of Design. Um, so it's an MDES MBA program, and, but we almost had few students. And I think, you know, kind of after this co-location is when that program really took off, um, because I, I think people realized that the synergies that, that really could happen when you combine and, and our MBA is a bit more quantitative, um, and you know, design. So I say it's, you know, it's like the left brain, right brain, yeah. um, combination. And so, so it's a, a really powerful, um, synergy. Um, uh, but then about, where is this 22? Um, so in 2018, we moved into a new building on the main campus at Illinois Tech. Got it. Um, and the, the idea there is that we yeah, really want to center design in a lot of the work of the university, right? So um, we're now located in the middle of campus between natural science, engineering, 
<laughs> yeah. computing. Uh, and, and so that chill opens up the space for a lot of new collaborations. Yeah, that's kind of a nice metaphor too of design sort of centered in the core of what all of these other disciplines are doing or as, you know, a huge um, overlap. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Um, one of the things you said actually about growing up in Trinidad and Tobago, I caught my attention about what you saw there um, growing up. Can you be, can you go into more detail about, was there something in particular? Was there a moment? Was there, what, what drew you to all these things? Cause it seemed like you, if this was when you were a kid, you were a really smart kid to start recognizing all of these connections out there in the world. It's probably all in retrospect, right? Right. Even that you can look back and say, okay, yeah, that was it. Um, Trinidad is an oil economy. Yeah. And so we, you know, produce oil, natural gas, have a large petroleum refinery. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there are occasional oil spills. Um, and there's a lot of air pollution. Uh, and, and, and so that, you know, uh, seeing oil spills in the natural environment, say, you know, drove um, that interest. Um, but Trinidad is also um, are ecologically part of South America. Uh, okay. And, and so, you know, when you think of the Caribbean, you think about, you know, like these flat coral islands with white sand beaches, Trinidad has none of that, right? It's all rainforest uh, and, uh, you know, dense vegetation, um, very mountainous. Uh, and, and so it, I would say, um, yeah, yeah, it's more, more of a rainforest, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, type ecology rather than um, a Caribbean island you know, ecology. Uh, and we have a bit of both because Tobago is more of uh, that white sand. Oh, so they get the white sand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you saw um, basically uh, natural, dis not, not natural disasters, sorry, but human made disasters and it really affected your worldview on, you know, what we should be doing as, um, inhabitants of this earth. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I also heard, you know, like, uh, an amazing set of geography teachers, yeah. <laughs> um, in, in high school who, you know, were able to look at both the physical side as well as the human side uh, mm -hmm. of geography and expose me to that. Um, and I think that was really important for yeah. the shaping of that, that worldview and the, the place of, of us, uh, humans within it. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it uh, good to, you know, think about the, the teachers that we had, right. Um, that have affected us as, as we are also educators, you and I ourselves, and most of the audience listening here, how they have had a great impact on our lives. I remember in high school for me, um, I had a great art teacher and I kept on telling her like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to art school. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm going to be this business major. And she told me, you're never going to be a business major. And I took it as, 
I took it as like an affront that, okay, I'm going to prove her wrong, but that's not what she meant. She just meant like, she knew, she knew where my talents and passion was. So I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that your history teachers had a big impact on your future self. So I'm interested uh, as well in you went from a Caribbean um, life to Chicago, Illinois. How was that transition into the the uh, probably very cold Midwest? Yeah. Um, well, before Chicago, I lived in Boston and Connecticut, so kind of up still the, cold. The, the East Coast. Um, and I think in Chicago, I learned to dress better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe I could afford to dress to. better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> so, like no longer being on a student salary. Mm-hmm. So, um, student stipend. Um, and, and that, you know, I think made, made an important difference. But I definitely try to get to, to the Caribbean a lot. Yeah. And, um, yeah, not, not big into the winter sports and oh. eating outside if I don't need to. <laughs> no, you're not, you're not bobsledding there in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. One, one of the things that, that I've, you know, wanted to do for years is to try to go skiing and I'm like, just never. Oh never yeah. Happened. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I've never been downhill skiing because my father like hurt both of his knees skiing and he said, never, never ski. And yeah. I haven't, this is, I took his <laughs> Well, but it, lo- it looks like great fun, you know, it does. It does. My, my in-laws ski and, and they talk about how great it is. And I look up at the mountain and say, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of heights. I don't think I'm going to be <laughs> going yeah. down like 30 miles an hour. Well, I wanted to ask you too about, uh, I'm a big fan of systems thinking, right? And this is the work that you do. I've been uh, trying to teach this in my class. And uh, I'm really um, a fan of your work and, and I wonder how you define systems thinking and, and how do you use it there um, in, at IIT? Sure. The starting point for me is trying to help my, my students see that we live in systems, mm. right? And, and, and there's, there's no problem that exists in and of itself yeah and coming from more uh, an environmental background like my frame is framing is usually um that we are part of a social ecological and technological system mm-hmm. uh and 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 so i often start off the um, with that framing and using the work of people like Danella Meadows um, and thinking in systems as, as a framework for, for seeing how different elements are connected to other elements and can have both intended and unintended consequences. So I've been teaching a systems thinking in design um, class, but I guess it's about two two years now that I'm teaching at IDE. Um, and this last spring, I actually co-taught it uh, with another colleague who brought in a completely different perspective mm-hmm. uh, that, that's really kind of more grounded in human and, and social systems. So I, her framing was thinking about 
um, more from a psychological perspective, right? So humans are, are begin as part of family systems. Right. Um, and, and, but they're also systems of oppression. Um, and so kind of more of like the, the political side. Um, and so where we, we landed in kind of combining these two approaches is thinking about the role of designers, right? Not only as someone who, who kind of comes in to observe and, and give recommendations and develop insight and innovations, um, but as being a part of that system and recognizing that um, who's in the room um, and whose voice is represented um, frames the conversation, right? And frames the, the insights that, that are developed. And so we ask our students to, you know, kind of step back and uh, from, from the onset, reflect on what are their worldviews, right? What are those um, ways of seeing the world that frame how they uh, come into the room um, uh, what are the biases that they have, um, so that when they're, they're called in to be a designer on a particular project, um, there is some awareness of where they're coming from and how those biases might influence how they see the problem. Uh, and so, uh, so recognizing themselves, right. Uh, like our own worldviews and biases, but also recognizing that everyone else in the room um, has those diverse perspective, potential biases. And, and so it's important to, um, to try to get those out um, in conversation. And, and so um, we, we, like, we, we've also been using the, um, as one of the texts, the work of Adrian Marie Brown, and emergent strategy, uh, which, you know, takes this very organic approach for thinking about how we're related to systems, but centering sort of Black, Indigenous perspectives, and that we want to drive towards a systems change that's more equitable. And, and so uh, we use systems thinking to kind of say, okay, you know, what is a problem that I'm interested in? What are the various variables, uh, the various actors who are involved? What's the distribution of power? What are the biases that, that come into, into play? And, you know, how does more diverse perspectives being involved in that conversation change the shape of the solutions that be developed? Yeah. Are these um, undergraduate or graduate students that you're working with in this class or classes? Graduate. Um, so okay. our program, our program is, is only at the graduate level. Got it. How do the students, this is, I asked this very in a very biased way, because I'm curious about how other people are teaching systems thinking. I'm teaching it to undergrads. How, how your students grasp it? Does it take a long time? How long does it take? How does it go for you? Yeah. So I, I would say that, um, at ID, we have uh, a very international student population, right? So, so even though they're um, all graduate and so a little more mature, um, they're coming from different parts of the world. 
um, many of them have design backgrounds. Uh, several don't. Right. Um, uh, but almost universally, um, and maybe that's not, not true, but I would say, you know, like for a large majority, you know, they, they've not done reflections mm-hmm. like this. Um, before. Yeah, I have the same and, experience. <laughs> and so, you know, so it's something that they, um, I, I wouldn't say struggle with, but, you know, it, it takes uh, a reframing, but I think one that, that, that's really good and helpful for them to, um, to think about um, how they show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with that in mind too, um, I'm curious about how, um, you, cause you said it's not just designers in the room, but have you found, um, strategies or ways that uh, systems thinking is better understood for designers, um, as most of the people listening to this show probably are designers and would definitely benefit from that, um, your expertise there. I, I mean, I would, I would say that the design students in, in general are, are very open mm-hmm. to this. I mean, because in my uh, systems thinking that I teach more in my engineering and business perspectives, um, it's, it's a bit more cut and dry. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, I have the the opportunity in, in our systems thinking class, uh, just the way that it's structured, that we have the time to kind of delve more deeply and reflect, mm-hmm. um, on, on these issues. I think in, in my other classes, um, you know, I have like one or two sessions that's about systems thinking and then it's like, okay, <laughs> what, what are all the things that I need to cram in? Well, I, um, yeah, that I have that same problem. <laughs> Not enough time, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But it does sound like IIT has like built in the curriculum systems thinking courses, which, which helps. Yeah. So I mean, so we have a whole concentration area. Oh, that's yeah. great. I'm jealous. So <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, I mean, this is there, I guess the, the luxury of our, our graduate, you know, yeah. program in, in design, uh, where, you know, like we have both seven week some shorter seminar type classes. And so the systems thinking is, is one of those as well as 14, 15 week workshop, uh, type classes where, you know, they get to, to go practice. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, and so in our systems concentration area, and, and that is a, a really important to, I would say facet of the ID program, um, we have kind of both the theory and application, uh, we have visualizations, right? So, so someone teaches, okay, well, how do you, you know, visualize these complex relationships, mm. um, in systems and communicate that to diverse audiences. Yeah. Um, so, so I'd say, you know, like we have like, yeah, like a nice suite of three, four classes That's amazing. Uh, in, in this space. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things that I think would benefit the students a lot because as I'm trying to introduce it, first of all, the students tell me, okay, this is a completely way, different way of thinking and designing. I mean, yeah. I mean, by, by definition, of course it is, right? Because you're not just going in and go, going right at the design problem. You're actually taking a step back and 
situating mm-hmm. yourself in a network, different connections and relationships. And I think having a seminar like you described prior to them getting into a course where they ex- are expected to make something because, you know, designers make things mm-hmm. would be so beneficial as opposed to taking okay, I got to spend three to four weeks just talking about what this is. And, and here's Donella Meadows thinking in systems. Um, yeah, you, that's, I think you're doing it right there. Cause I, I, in my experience, they need that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think you're totally right. Uh, that it is a different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I think perhaps, you know, one of the, the best compliments that I get from my students is that after taking these classes, um, and it's either in design or, you know, in business or, or engineering, that taking the systems thinking modules um, is something that changes them forever, right? Yeah. You, you, can, you, you can't just look at uh, a product um, in the same way, right? And, 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 and often the, the way that I... Um, bring this in um, is, is from an environmental life cycle perspective, right? So, so here's this product, um, you know, what are all of the, ha- the hands that touched this thing before it got to you, right? Um, what are the different types of resources that were mobilized uh, to produce it? What energy was used yeah. all along the supply the chain to transform it? Add, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, you know, the energy to transport it, um, as well as the people, right? So, like, what were the working conditions of the folks who manufactured this product? That's a huge thing. Uh, and, and that um, perspective, I think, is really important to especially for designers, right? I think. Yeah. To see we, everything is connected. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the human centered design is such an important paradigm in, in design work, you know, for the last half century. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's important to go beyond that, right. And think about, oh. um, who were those other people, right? Not the users, but the workers. <laughs> the, the fish. <laughs> right. Is, is that, would you call that life-centered design? I, I do. And, and I think, you know, like there, there are a couple of different terms, planet-centered, life-centered yeah. uh, design that, that folks are doing. And that's really something that I am focusing my research, my practice on a lot. And it's why I now sit in a joint appointment at ID uh, because we were really interested in kind of developing, uh, you know, you, you know, professors, everybody wants to, to, to discover the new best innovative right. thing, right? Exactly. Um, and, and so for us, that means developing tools and frameworks and methods that um, look to futures, uh, mm-hmm. that look at um, broader perspectives, that look at how purpose can be integrated into design. So The common good, right? Yeah. So, so we have, you know, um, uh, a number of faculty, you know, kind of more in the digital space, more in the futures space. I'm in the 
environmental, planetary sustainability space. Um, yeah. We have folks in health. Um, so really thinking about, you know, like, like what are ways that design needs to transform itself um, to really engage more deeply and develop solutions that um, consider what might be the unintended mm, consequences exactly. um, and, and really create a more holistic um, framing for understanding the impacts. And, and, and I think it's one thing to understand the impacts. Uh, the next step is about weighing. Right. And, and thinking about, okay, like what are the trade-offs that, that you have to make? Right. So, so we, right. If we focus on reducing the carbon footprint of a particular product or process, um, what might be other environmental impacts or other social impacts mm -hmm. um, if we decide to, uh, to use solar energy instead of uh, fossil fuel energy, right? So what jobs are displaced? Um, uh, and, and, and so there are frameworks like multi-criteria decision analysis, right? That, that come from you know, engineering that we might use to say, okay, how can we weigh these things? And that's not something that you know, uh, designers put a, a lot of emphasis oh, they um, on. Yeah. Yeah, we're on the same wavelength here. This is why I was so um, happy that you uh, came onto the the show. Uh, I have also agreed throughout the years that life-centered design is really what designers need to be practicing. And the only way I could think to get there was through this idea of systems thinking and connecting everything. And I'm wondering about your success stories or student aha moments that you've had over the years? Cause I have a few that I thought were like, oh, wow. Like once they started mapping out this connected systems, they would say, this can go on forever, right? <laughs> like they can go, I only said, take 30 minutes and do this. And they were like, we need longer. We need like two hours. We need like two days. Do you have any really um, good success stories from your classes or your own work too? Cause you do a but lot of great work. Yeah, well, well so, so let me just respond to, to, to that comment um, and say that, you know, I, I give them a time limit. <laughs> so, so I like your 30 minutes. Um, you know, I say, okay, yeah, precisely. You can spend weeks kind of fleshing out the full circles and the relationships. You know, start at the question, what are you interested in? Mm. Right. And, and then think about, okay, who are those key actors and what are the actions that they're taking? Um, that leads to to that problem, and don't spend more than two hours on this. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> um, do they so, write something, or do they visualize like a map? Like, what do they do? Yeah, so we do a lot, uh, a lot of mural boards. <laughs> yeah, online teaching Miro has saved uh, a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, uh, and. And then, you know, like, like for the, the end of the, uh, the course, they have to do, you know, a, a mapping, um, identify some intervention, yeah. actions, points, um, and just kind of explain what they think the consequences, the first order and second order consequences might yeah. be of that, that intervention. Um, 
I feel like I'm I'm doing it right because I'm hearing what you're doing. Okay, I feel like validated. Yeah, Yeah, validated. That's the right word. Another word. (laughs) Um. So as far as success story, um, I yeah want want to give a case, and 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 it's actually one of the cases where um I first started working with the the design team and and had. a PhD student from ID joined my industry ecology course. And it, it, so this is probably about five years ago. Um, and we were working with a group of companies in Chicago at a facility called The Plant. Um, and these are all small businesses that uh, are very environmentally conscious. They, they want to think about how to be more efficient, practices, um, but they're also part of a community of similar-minded folks. So we had done an analysis looking at material and energy flows, identifying uh, how much waste was being generated, where that waste was going, and using that information to identify opportunities for synergies between companies. So, oh, well, you have this waste. Uh, That person needs a similar material. You know, can you think about how to transform it in a way? Yeah, to to close the loop. Exactly. And and make a circular economy. Uh, And our design student came in um, and kind of asked the question, um, uh, what? What's motivating the, what would motivate the people to, um, to pursue these types of uh, connections? It's kind of in, very in line with, with what I'm doing. Um, but instead of just focusing on, okay, the material flows started having one-on-one conversations with different people, um, owners, workers within the facility. And really um, kind of got a a very nuanced understanding of what some of the barriers were. Mm -hmm. Um, In in the end, uh, we we realized that um, we needed a whole sort of change management process that uh, required people to co-create a vision for what a circular economy means uh, for all of them, right? Um, and to continuously update, kind of bring new people in um, and create structures to facilitate information sharing. But as a part of that, we realized that uh, folks weren't just interested in exchanging waste, right? That there are a lot of knowledge resources being generated uh, and being shared, right? There's a uh, uh, labor mm-hmm. being exchanged, right? And, and you know, in, in some ways, very informally, oh, I need a hand to do this. <laughs> right. Um, and in some ways, more formally, it's like, oh, um, let's do a, a joint marketing effort, right? And then, and then we can co-create a product and we're going to yeah, kind of share that out to our different audiences. And so um, looking at this, and then drawing on uh, the work of resource-based theory, um, we, we saw that 
there were different types of capital, different types of resources that were being mobilized here. And so we developed a framework to think about um, how different stocks of capital, human capital, social capital could be mobilized to uh, implement sustainability solutions, circular economy solutions. And so we, you know, kind of developed out a framework, uh, tested it in, in a couple of different settings. Uh, and that multi-capital framework um, is now being taken up in some different spaces that, that I that I work in. And I think it, it's really nice to see um, how that framework gives the language for talking about different types of value that's being created. And just to, to kind of close the loop on, on this conversation, you know, so I, I do quite a bit of work around advancing sustainability and equity in urban food systems in Chicago. And this multi-capital framework uh, has been adopted um, by one of the groups, and it's called the Community Food Navigator, uh, as a way to articulate the social value, the nutritional value, um, the community benefits that urban farmers provide in addition to pounds of food and dollars of income. Uh, is this framework somewhere that we could access or sure yeah yeah, yeah. okay where i'll send you the the link um and i'll put the link up for our listeners too yeah, yeah. that's awesome <laughs> that's awesome well we're gonna pause here just for a few minutes um for some commercial messages and when we get back we're gonna talk more about how systems thinking can help with uh, climate action do you want to help design a better world start by subscribing to evolve cpg a podcast featuring the purpose-driven entrepreneurs, executives, and consultants behind the most impact-driven brands in the world. You'll learn how innovative leaders are leaning into their purpose, how better-for-the-world brands are scaling positive impact, and how the product industry is solving some of the world's biggest problems. Be part of the evolution. Find Evolve CPG wherever you get your podcasts and visit EvolveCPG.com to learn more. Looking to take your industrial design career to the next level? For over 50 years, the Industrial Designer Society of America has worked to advance the practice of industrial design and enrich the professional lives of members. Join IDSA today for professional development and continuing education for each stage of your career, exclusive discounts on events and award programs, access to members-only content, community leadership opportunities, and much more. Go to idsa.org slash J-O-I-N for more information and use code J-O-I-N 25 to save $25 on a new professional membership. We're back and really enjoyed uh, this first half of our conversation. And I uh, am a fan of systems thinking, as I've said before. And I've been a fan of your work too for a while. And I'm, I'm curious how you, how you're using systems thinking or how you think systems thinking can be better used by designers, by business, by uh, engineering to, to help 
with um, our current uh, climate crisis? Great question. It's a tough question, right? It, 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 it is. <laughs> Put you on the spot. One of the other classes that, that I teach is a design for a changing climate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, Perfect, right? And it, 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 you know, I don't have it as a prereq, but, you know, almost all of the students who, who take it have also taken my systems thinking class. And so that um, grounding um, serves as the, the basis for, for the work that we do in the climate design class. Uh, we start off, and, and actually I would say that, you know, most of the classes that I teach, and, and of course this is based on the fact that, you know, I'm an engineer, I've grown in business, and now design, combine yeah. all three, yeah. right? And I think to, To be effective in this space, we, we have to have some basic understanding of the science. Yeah, and, uh, I agree. And, and, and in my design for climate change class, I use two texts, one that's more on the, the technical side and the book that I'm currently using is Robert Henson's The Thinking Person's Guide to Climate Change. The Thinking Person's Guide to Climate Change? Yeah. I like that. No, and, and I think it's fairly accessible, but, but it is the science. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I, you know, encourage the, the students to kind of dive in as much as possible. And then on the, the more humanist side, you know, we use All We Can Save by Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson and yeah. Catherine uh, Wilkinson. Um, and and use that to to tell the stories, right? And, and to um, I, I think it's very inspiring. Uh, as soon as I said, you know, like it, it's something they really enjoy reflecting on and you know, being able to to talk about it, and that the stories that are in there are about solutions, and like many of it is kind of like very grassroots, it's very feminist. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's a, a, a great perspective, but the, you know, the, the point that, that I'd make is that, right. So we need to understand the science, um, and we need to be able to, to tell the, the stories. Um, so, so the types of things that, that I have, the my students in this class do is right. Think about, okay, if there's a particular problem, a particular region, like what are those connections, um, that are are leading to uh, increased emissions, uh, what might be some types of interventions that we could use to, to mitigate emissions. So we talk about mitigation, we talk about adaptation, talk about resilience, uh, and, and I typically have them, you know, do a brief, do some kind of, you know, like intervention strategy that they mm -hmm. have to to visualize and communicate, um, and, you know, kind of analyze more, more deeply in, in the broader scheme. Um, I think there's absolutely a role for designers and that having a 
life cycle, a life-centered um, design framing will help us to better understand what are those implications of whatever it is we're designing, a product, mm -hmm. a service, a systems change um, across people, across places, um, and different impact categories, right? Uh, so the industrial ecologists are kind of like um, very attuned to saying that we can't only focus on carbon, right? Um, it, it, we also need to think about water, right? And, and mm -hmm. water scarcity. And there are lots of um, California, California there. has that problem. For, Right. And, and so we need to be able to, to see the whole picture, um, and, and climate I think is the most visible, um, and, and certainly, you know, like on a planetary perspective, um, has the largest impact, um, but we also need to think about localized impacts, um, and impacts on ecosystems, on human health, on ecological health. Um, as well as the planet. Yeah, yeah. Well, last season and then this season kind of as a response to things that we learned from the last season of this program was that um, better stories need to be told. I think systems thinking can play a role in that. But I'm curious what you think about this other part of it, and that is that oh, I'm going to use the word rebrand um, may not be the best word, but, um, this is something that came up last season was we really need to rethink how we're talking about both climate change and sustainability. And I'm just curious about your own personal opinion on that. Do we need to do that? And, and if so, what can we do? How can we do it? I have, uh, a pair of colleagues, uh, yeah, Gabriel Grant and Jason J written a book called Breaking Gridlock. Breaking Gridlock. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and they talk about how we have difficult conversations, um, with people who have different opinions. Mm. Um, yeah. and, 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 lives right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and it can be in, in many realms, um, uh, but sustainability and climate change are, are kind of like a big part of it. Yes. Um, but, you know, the, the way that they approach this is, is thinking about, you know, like we have to start one-on-one, -on -one, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I believe it, I, I, I saw uh, Catherine Hayhoe, you know, maybe in like one of her Twitter things, um, uh, talk about, you know, like, like we have to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and understand where there's common ground. Yeah. Um, uh, so what are the things that we, we care about? Um, and, and designers will get this, uh, build empathy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so it's sort of something that we're supposed to be able to do well, um, to, to really understand kind of like, what are the things that people care about? And then, you know, not use that to think, oh, well, you should also care about this. Um, but to, you know, to co-create, to kind of think about, okay, well, like, what are the things that we, um, can agree on, um, and, yeah. and what are those actions that help 
to achieve achieve multiple goals. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen some good articles about that where it's not about using that term climate change, but it's finding that common ground term that maybe two very divergent groups like clean water, right? Or, or safe, safe for my family, right? And then they find a, maybe a common uh, path forward for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think about the fact um, environmental conservation is certainly in the United States. Um, but probably in you know, other parts of the Western world, started as a very racist, exclusionary um, practice of um, taking land mm. uh, uh, from Native people, conserving that land, uh, preserving it for the exclusive use of folks with money and privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is something that we we have to address. Um, and so when we talk about you know climate, environmental conservation, uh, the racism in that past uh, and, and present uh, needs to uh, to be addressed. Right. Yeah. Uh, last week. Um, we had a workshop um, in Chicago on food waste. And, you know, we tried to bring in uh, diversity of voices. But one kind of theme that, that came up in that conversation um, was about how those of us in the room um, kind of come from positions of privilege. Right. Um, and if we really want to create solutions that are more equitable and inclusive, then we're going to need to cede some of that privilege and power. Mm. Um, yeah. and, and I think that that's something that most of us you know, don't even know kind of, okay, well, what, what does that actually mean? Yeah. Well, um, and yeah. And, and, and how to do it in a way that's not patronizing, mm-hmm. um, and patriarchal. Sure. Um, and, and so I think, you know, like that's something that, that I think we need to do. Right. So it's, so it's creating space, um, for more diverse voices to be a part of the conversation. Uh, honoring, respecting the value of the knowledge of those diverse perspectives and empowering them, right? With mm-hmm. money, with resources, that uh, to be able to make and implement and scale the changes um, that um, they know, like maybe they've, you know, started working on uh, but because uh, of how power and financial capital is distributed and hoarded um, yeah. in our society, that, uh, that they don't have access to be able to to really make changes. Mm. Yeah. So it's 
you know, like with the way I understand that uh, and have experienced it before at, at my university, it's, you know, people that look like me, been here a while, a white, white men, um, need to step aside at times, right. Mm. And, and, um, let others have their voices heard, lead and, and have the resources to lead, not just like, Hey, here's this job. Good luck. Yeah. And I mean, and it's, um, I mean, universities are hierarchies, right? And yeah, they are. We're part of it. And, you know, I mean, even for myself, you know, like as a black woman, um, but one who, you know, did not grow up in, in the U S right. Um, like I'm also very cognizant of kind of like how I approach spaces. You know, I'm very cautious about what information I share. You know, I would say through through years of work and trust building and you know building social capital. You know, I'm now engaged in kind of this food systems transformation work in Chicago. Um, but there, there are things that are, are said there and there's work that that's being done, but I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to be able to publish this. Right. And that, and that's okay. Right. Because yeah. the, the value of the knowledge that I am bringing into, you know, this conversation, um, is not, it's not about me. It, it's not about recognition or university it's not about a, a publication um but it is that yeah. give a giving up of of power and privilege so that the the knowledge that's being shared is really for community benefit and in some ways i feel like i have developed a really thick skin yeah and being like okay okay i'm, I'm not gonna you know have the the best publication record or the best paper award and it's, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you're creating great impact, right? <laughs> it's like, that's the value really you're doing. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think invariably too, when you're talking about systems with your students or in your own work, right? Like that topic of race, these sort of uncomfortable areas for many invariably happen because they're all connected together. Right. And so that's been a huge challenge for me. Like when that does happen, right. You know, wh what do you do? What do you yeah. do as the educator and, and specifically, you know, I'm a white male and like, I have to educate myself, right. About how to do that. Not just how to teach systems thinking. It's, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, myself included. Right. And as I said, I didn't grow up in the US and so there are, you know, kind of like many um nuances, um that truly yeah, that, so that truly. I feel like yeah. not not in, in tuned in. Uh, but now, you know, like in our systems thinking class, the fact that we talk about oppression, you know, we talk mm -hmm. about political structures, um and racism sexism and, and biases, um, that that it's uncomfortable, yeah. right? And, and, and it should be, I yeah. think, I think, um, right. And, and, and we have to 
kind of learn to sit in that discomfort, right? That this is not going to be easy. Um, and yeah, I mean, certainly giving up power. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's challenge. A, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, like, like I think about, so in industrial ecology, and I say in kind of environmental science, um, we talk about an equation that's called IPAT. So mm -hmm. I is equal to P-A-T, where I is impact, P is population, a is affluence, T is technology. Hmm. And the eco-modernist framing says that technology is the lever that we pull, right? Like we can't do anything about population. No, we yeah. can't do anything about affluence, right? Like um, the population is growing. People want more stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so, so therefore, <laughs> so therefore we can only fix technology and figure out how to be more efficient, how to close the loop, a better um, how, how to, yeah, how to mitigate, uh, right. our emissions. Um, but the P and the A levels are also important, right? And like yeah. very important if we think about, um, our climate impact. Uh, large-scale ecological impact. So how many humans on, are on the planet are in a particular region utilizing uh, resources, right? Um, and, and how do we change P? Education, right? And particularly right. girls' education. Exactly. Um, and we've been very hesitant to touch the A, affluence, right? Because everyone needs more. Right. So, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a but, tough one. Yeah, but I think, you know, like an important understanding here is that, you know, those of us who live in the global north, right, and, and, and I say global north, but I mean, you know, anywhere in the world where you have a lot of money relative to everybody else, mm -hmm. um, are going to have to, to give up things. Right. And I think that that's something that, that many of us are, are not prepared to do. Um, and, and, yeah. and so in, in thinking about how we rebrand climate change and sustainability, I think we absolutely have to tackle affluence and what it means to have a good quality of life. Right. Um, so the, the classic American example is you know right you know um, your standard single family home with your two cars and your white picket fence yep and and that cannot be our future uh, because if everyone on the planet lived like that <laughs> we, yeah. we we would need <laughs> several hundred more planets <laughs> right it's too much yeah that that is uh the idea of like less is more like how yeah. can you live a life where you don't need all these artifacts around you. Right. And, 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 and so I think that's the rebranding that needs to happen. Good. It, yeah. It's about, um, how do you live a high quality life with less stuff, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> less stuff, less space. <laughs> gotta, we gotta figure that out. Right. And, and that is more equitable and really, you know, kind of like gives an opportunity for more people have enough. Mm -hmm. Well, on that note, you know, we're up to my last and favorite question, which I think might 
um, be affected by everything you just said, but I'm curious for you, if you were, um, given the freedom and, and resources to teach, um, a dream course on this or, or a project, um, what would you do? What would you assign? Well, incidentally, I'm, I'm, I'm building one of these, right? Oh now. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> You're living the dream, I guess. That right. So I am preparing uh, a workshop course for the spring mm. um, where we're going to combine human-centered design and life-centered design, um, looking at issues of food waste and its relationship to climate change. Oh, amazing. So what we're, um, what we're thinking that we'll do, um, in that, um, is have a couple of different modules. One's kind of more of our, uh, a human centered approach. So we might say, okay, let's focus on, um, food waste in households. <laughs> Right. So, 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 so there's a lot, you know, like what are the human centered, um, interventions that might take to, uh, then we do another module, uh, around kind of life-centered thinking. Um, so if we kind of go beyond the individuals in the household and what their needs are and how to better satisfy these needs, let's examine what, are uh, the life cycle implications mm -hmm. of those, uh, those choices. Um, and then use that to refine, reframe, uh, uh, develop kind of like a net, next set of prototypes uh, and solutions. Um, and, and then the third piece, you're trying to figure out, you know, it's like some kind of combination, um, yeah. uh, but kind of all through, through here, um, we'll be doing, okay, you know, like, like what is the, you uh, the human user satisfaction with the solutions. Okay, what are what's the carbon footprint implications of, okay. of that solution? Um, so that then we'd you know come to come to something and have to figure out okay, like is there a framework that we can develop and use to balance uh, these different set of criteria? Uh, and so that's what we're we're hoping to develop, and I think it should be fun. Well, good luck with that. That sounds like a, a really cool class. Um, and I don't necessarily wish I was a grad student again, but maybe <laughs> for that. Um, Wesleyan, thanks for being on Climify. It was a pleasure talking to you. And um, one more time, where can we find out more about your work in the systems thinking and, and circular economies and everything else that you do? Oh, so uh, probably the easiest place is through the Institute of Design at Illinois Tech. And the website for that is id.iit.edu. Thanks, Westlin. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Same here. Thank yeah. you. This podcast is written, produced, and engineered by me. Designed by Bashul Rashik and Mark O'Brien. With music by Casual Motive. Next week on Climify, we'll be joined by Kate Yoder. She's a news editor at Grist, the nonprofit independent media organization dedicated to telling stories of climate solutions and a just future. Kate will join us to talk about the mental health impacts of climate change, good climate messaging, 
how to talk about the cost of climate action, and the interesting concept of designing by subtraction. And I, I worked on this piece uh, last year that some like psychologists and behavioral scientists had come up with this idea of subtraction. Um, they call it subtraction, but there was a paper in Nature about it. And essentially, it's the idea that you know people will overlook the option of like getting rid of elements, um, and instead they'll like want to add new ones. There's sort of that yeah. impulse behind like you know build back better, right? It's right, like, right. Uh, from a design standpoint, we're always thinking of like, how can we improve things? And there's like, well, you're forgetting about the easiest option, which was like, we, which is we can just take these things away. Thanks for listening to Climify. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To catch all the latest on Climify, you can follow us on Instagram at Climify Podcast. Climify is part of Climate Designers. Learn more at climatedesigners.org slash edu.